What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 38 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I am so excited to welcome you in to 2019. I hope your year is off to a great start. Man, what a great time we had with Ravi closing out 2018 and starting 2019. And today I get to introduce you to our very first second time guest to Lynch with a Leader, Mr. Chris Hogan. We have an amazing lineup lined up for you in 2019. I can't think of anybody better to kick it off than Chris Today, January the 7th, his new book, Everyday Millionaire, is hitting Amazon and hitting the stores, and it is a must read. If you are someone that wants to say, I want to take the blessings that God has given me and make the most of them, Everyday Millionaire is a book for you. Chris just does such an incredible job breaking down what we all watch and see into simple, easy to follow, but understandable concepts. And you are going to love my time with Chris. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. Make sure today to get your Everyday Millionaire copy ordered. And I want you to listen in to my time with Chris Hogan. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me again on Lynch with a Leader. It's an honor to have you, buddy. Well, thank you, my friend. It's good to be back with you. You're the you're the first guy I've had on twice, man. I, I mean, oh. this is this is a big deal for oh, me. This is this is cool, then. I, oh, I, man. I accept the honor. Oh, listen, this is awesome. Well, you have got a brand new book just out called Everyday Millionaires. Where in the world did your heart for this, where did it come from? Well, as you know, when I wrote my first book, Retire Inspired, it really got me on that path of wanting uh, everybody to wake up and understand that your dreams are up to you, right? You've got to work toward it. But then I started having these questions. I started wondering, you know, are, are, is it possible, Mike, to still build wealth today? right? And in today's economy, you hear it on the news reports and all this. And I started just wondering, you know, we all read Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley years ago, but I wanted to know the state of things now. And so I started asking questions and you know what it's like when you start asking questions, they just start to grow. And so we ended up doing the largest research study that's ever been done on millionaires. We studied over 10,000 of them. 10,000. And we wanted to know the truth. And so that path took us down where we started to understand a few things. The American dream is still alive and it's well, and it's available for people that are intentional and are focused. And so also millionaires are more, they're less about being trust fund babies and they're more likely to be regular hardworking folks. So it was really eye opening. What of your what of your study surprised you the most? What when you got into this, Chris, what did you go, man, I would have never thought that? 
Well, there were a, there were a few things that jumped out. If I'm being honest, you know, growing up in a middle class family in Kentucky, I thought if you had wealth, it was because you inherited it. Yeah, right? it was because somebody handed it down to you and you just got it easy. Well, here's the reality: the study showed that only 21 percent of millionaires received any inheritance at all. Only 21 percent. So, Mike, that means that 79% of the millionaires that we studied received nothing from their family, okay, nothing. Take it a step further, only 16% of the millionaires inherited more than 100,000. So that means even of the people that inherited something, none of them were handed a dollar amount that just put them on easy street. They, were, they inherited some. So 79% of people out there built wealth for themselves, the first generation of wealth. Now here was another one. I thought wealthy people had to have a high paying job, right? A lot of people think that you got to make high six figures. You got to do that. Here's the truth. A third of the millionaires never had a six figure household income in a single working year. That means the average millionaire is a regular man or woman working a regular job. So those two things, the inheritance and the high paying job, those were things that really surprised me. Uh, but I think it will surprise a lot of people out there. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, even when I was reading that, and you even talked about, I think you you tie into that well, then they went to a prestigious school. They must have gone to Harvard or Yale or Wharton. What did you find out about where they went to school? It, where they went to school had nothing to do with it. Crazy. Uh, it wasn't about an Ivy League education. You know, most people believe that. You know what it was about? It was about people starting something and finishing from a state school, community college. Uh, so, yeah, that was another myth. Here was another one. People think that you had to be lucky, right? That you had to be lucky and win the lottery. Not true. Or that you needed to take high-risk investments. Not true. And so breaking this down, to be honest with you, I'm excited about it. Number one, to, the book's amazing. The stories, the stats, uh, the reality, uh, but also this, that when you read this, what you end up with is that uh, you have to make a decision. You have to understand, you don't have, there's not, the millionaires don't have advantages that you don't have. You have the same opportunity and those same advantages, you just have to make a decision. Why do, why do you think there's part of us as people that want to think, well, they must have had an advantage? It must be. Why do you think that's inherent in people to go, well, I could never achieve that? All right, Mike, you asked me the question. I'm going to shoot you straight. I think we do that because it's easier to make an excuse mm. or to be envious of what someone else has done as opposed to looking in the mirror saying, I need to make a decision for me and my future. And I think it's the natural tendency. Right. Where we think, oh, they didn't work hard. They just they just were handed that. And that's that's frustrating to me because I've talked to some of these men and women, these millionaires, a lot of them that came from nothing. I mean, some of them were homeless or less than homeless. They came from tough backgrounds. And so to think that they didn't deserve it or they didn't do it the right way, that's wrong. These are hardworking people that were very consistent and very intentional about how they went about building their wealth. If you could go back to college football player Chris, talked about that in our last episode, and college football player Chris picked up everyday millionaires, what would be different about you now mm. if you had known all of this as a 22-year-old young man graduating from school? That's a fantastic question. Um, I'll tell you, I would have immediately as a 22-year-old plugged into a 401k mm. or 403b. Um, I would immediately begin to budget 
uh, I would immediately start to put some things into place where I'm not worried about what other people are doing. I just want to be consistent. Mm. I would stay away from car payments. Uh, I would stay away from any kind of debt, uh, to be honest with you. And, you know, I appreciate you asking that question because that's really my goal with this. I want people to read this book and say, I can too, right? Mm. I'm telling people all throughout, you can do this. And I'm telling them because we need to hear somebody that believes in us. And I know you know that you're a coach at heart too. We have to hear that. But then at some point, deep down in your heart, you've got to make a decision for you and your kids. Think about it. The Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, the Marriott's, the Hilton's, somebody in that family made a decision that started generational types of wealth. Well, why can't we do that for our own? And I think we can but we need somebody that believes in us and we need the right information and then the right tools. I love that. You, you, you talk about one of the, one of my favorite parts of the book, Chris, you start talking about these key attributes. You boiled down these thousands of people you talked to and really you came out with five key attributes. Cover a couple of those with me and, and walk us through that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. This was exciting because I wanted to know what do these everyday millionaires have in common? Mm. Right. What what are the things that if somebody 22 year old Hogan is reading this that I want to come away with and know I need to start to do these five things and I'll point them out to you and I'll drill in on a couple. But here are the five. They take personal responsibility. They practice intentionality with their finances. They are goal oriented. They are hard workers and they know that wealth building takes consistency. Mm. Now, Mm. I'll dig in on a couple. I think the personal responsibility. Right is important, as well as the practicing intentionality with finances. The, 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 the personal responsibility means that wherever you are, good or bad, right or wrong, where you are right now is a result of what you've decided or what you've allowed to happen. And so I want we have to start there because you can't begin to build, change, or adjust anything until you look at this and you start to own it, right? You've got to own your current results. But with that, we also need to own our opportunity which is if we think differently, if we start to try harder, we get the right people around us in our lives, there's nothing we can't do. And so the intentionality with their finances means we've got to learn skills. We've got to understand budgeting. We've got to understand that debt is a threat. Get that out of your life. If you can't pay cash for it, it means you don't need it. And so I want people to slow down. When you looked at those, those, those five attributes and you began to survey all these incredible people, which one of those did it seem like took the most work from them? Was, was there, was there one of those that you said, man, you, you heard over and over and over from some of your stories. This was the one I really had to stay intentional about. Were any of those more than another one? Well, that's a good question. I think it was the goal oriented. Mm. Um, you know, 94% of the, the, the millionaires we surveyed would said that their friends and family would call them hardworking, right, as well as goal-oriented. So these are people that set their sights and they stay focused. And I think that does require a, a level of, of, of being very zeroed in and knowing what it is you want, but also what you don't want. And I think it's natural. You know, when you set goals, people that set goals, they want to achieve them, right? And so you work hard. And I think that that aspect, the underlying current of this, and I talk about a little bit in the book, is this mindset of sacrifice, Mm. right? Hard workers know that in order to gain something, I'm going to have to give up or miss out on some other things. But it's okay as long as the goal is worthy. And Mm. so it's really important for us to set a goal 
uh, that we we believe in and that we truly desire. So, Chris, you you interviewed him. Probably my favorite part of the book, and, and the every point was incredible. But you had some amazing stories. You met some amazing people along the journey. That man, their stories just capture your heart. What were some of your favorite ones? Well, there are, you're right. The stories to me, between the stats and the stories and the attributes, listen, I love this book. Yep. Uh, not just because I wrote it, but because of what's in it. But the people, you're right. Some of the stories. Uh, it, it's one of those where you, 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 you hear about Thomas, for example. Uh, he grew up with literally nothing, talking to him. He had a dysfunctional family. His dad was an alcoholic. Uh, his mother battled mental health issues. Uh, he was in three or four different foster homes. Uh, and his parents eventually passed away when he was young. But despite this, get this, he had a clear vision for what he wanted for his life. Uh, he went to college, he ended up graduating, was eventually drafted into the Vietnam War. Uh, he returned to school after the war, got his PhD. He spent 37 years in education, uh, but ended up with a net worth of $2.7 million. Uh, and so, you know, this mindset, this Thomas's story, you know, a lot of us come from less than ideal situation, right? Whether it's single parent homes or broken homes, or maybe you had two parents, but there wasn't a lot of love or a lot of focus, right? And we all walk through that. We all have those situations. But I, what I love about Thomas, it wasn't what happened to him. It was what he, what, what he made happen through him, mm. meaning that his mindset didn't allow him to become a victim, he didn't do the woe is me. He just set clear sight on what it is he wanted to accomplish. And his spirit, when you talk to this man, you can hear it inside of him, uh, that he is a result of hard work and focus, but he's also very, very down to earth and really loves giving back. Those stories, when you, when you read them, you go, they really are everyday people. These are, these are guys that, that truly, they're, they're the next-door neighbor. They're the guy that sits next to you at church or the lady that sits next to you at church. At the end of all this, what do you want to accomplish through this book? Somebody reads it, and they set it down. Before they put it on the bookshelf, what's your goal that happens in their lives from the book? Yeah, I can tell you. I mean, it's three words. If somebody reads this book and they set it down, I want them to have this thought. I can too. Mm. If these people in this book, some of these stories, uh, if they can, I want somebody to have read this book, set it down and say, I can too. And I want them to not just think it, I need them to believe it, right? And once they start to do that and we start to act daily like we intend internally, that's when results will happen. You're, gonna, you're right. These are everyday people. This isn't a microwave process. This is a crock pot, baby. It goes slow, and you've got to be consistent. You've got to be focused, and you don't lose sight of that goal. Um, I've got a goal internally to have a different future for my grandbabies, mm -hmm. right? My boys are 14, 13, and 11. I'm long away from being a grandfather, but I know the kind of granddad I want to be based on the kind of grandparents I, I hung out with, mm -hmm. and I want opportunities, and I want to be able to start a legacy. How are you teaching this to your kids? How are you being intentional as somebody who's got this great vision? Right. How are you bringing it down to the 14, 13, and 11-year-old? How are you doing that? Well, I think it, whenever you're trying to relate with kids, you have to talk with them on their level, right? As a father, one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm trying to listen more than I talk. Mm. When you listen, you understand how they're thinking. But I'm, you know, now I don't want people to think that Hogan's at home throwing stock market parties, right? <laughs> Got graphs and charts up. Uh, but I do talk with the boys and they understand this. 
money comes from work, mm. right? It doesn't just come from dad. It doesn't come from the bank. Money comes from work. And so there are three things that I've taught them to do with money. It's give, save, and spend. And so really helping them walk through that and set goals for themselves. Uh, I've got a 14-year-old. He's already talking about driving, which, you know, makes my heart hurt and I'm scared, right? Because this boy, he shouldn't be behind the wheel yep. right now. Yep. But, but he's got a goal. And so he's thinking about and talking about a car. Well, this is a life lesson for him to understand what's that going to cost and to teach him about insurance and to walk through. See, it's about growing our knowledge. And so if you've got listeners out there that maybe they weren't taught this stuff by their parents, well, guess what? you got an opportunity to self-teach and to grow your skills. Did you find as you talked through these folks, Chris, that they faced a lot of adversity? Did you, did, in the study, did it come out that, man, it wasn't easy and it wasn't, it didn't all just come naturally to them. Did you hear adversity talked a lot about in the process? I, you could definitely hear the stories of adversity. Uh, people that had real challenges, uh, their own health challenges or health situations in their family or, you know, uh, relationship issues. Uh, yeah, I mean, but guess what? Everyday people have everyday kind of problems. They have things that come. The difference is, is with this group of people, because they're hardworking, because they're intentional, they didn't let what happened to them keep them down. Most of them used it as a catalyst to be able to propel them forward, to really help them to stay true and focus to what they wanted. So I love it that they used it as fuel, not as an excuse. And so adversity was real, but also so was sacrifice. It was very real. Final question here today, Chris, you, you have a very strong faith as I do. And this is a, is a podcast on spiritual leadership. And some people may hear this and go, well, man, God doesn't really care about that. We accumulate a lot of wealth or God doesn't care as much how we do our money. As long as we tithe, why do you think God is so concerned with how we handle those resources that he has put and let flow flow through our hands? What would yeah. you say to that? Well, I don't think it's an accident that there are over 800 scriptures related to money. That's right. Um, I don't think that's an accident. I, I think that what that means is money impacts all of us um, at every age and every stage. And so the mindset of understanding that I'm not an owner, but I'm a, I'm a manager, right? That's where stewardship comes in. Uh, but I, I've talked to a lot of people, Mike, that have had that same statement, that have made that. Well, God doesn't care if we have wealth or not. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've read in the Bible that it's we're supposed to give and we're supposed to help others. That's right. Uh, widows, orphans, right? We're supposed to help others. Uh, my my, my, my wake-up call was this a few years ago. Broke people can't help people. Mm, mm. Okay. You can hear about a charity. You can hear about somebody that's in need. And if you're up to your eyeballs in credit card debt, uh, you're not budgeting and you don't have an extra dime, you can't help people with money. That doesn't mean people, I'm not saying that somebody that has debt can't still be helpful because you can, your time, your talents, right? But in order for us to have an impact on others and to do what we're called to do, I think we put ourselves in a position to either do what the Lord's calling us to do, or we put ourselves in a position to be further away from doing what the Lord has called us to do. So I think it's an opportunity to be consistent, to be a good steward, uh, to be able to help others. And I want to be able to help others. I love the anonymous giving. I love to be able to leave a good tip and watch that expression on the waiter or waitress's face. That's a good thing. And so I would disagree with people. I would say we are called to help people. We are called to be an example. And the best way to do that is to put ourselves in a financial position to be able to help others. 
Chris, what's the best way for people to pick up a copy of the book? What's the best way? I know Amazon, we can find it on Amazon. Where else are the other outlets that we can link to that you want folks to find the book? Yes. Well, I'm telling you, the book released January 7th, and I'm so excited. Uh, they can go to my website, chrishogan360.com. That's chrishogan360.com. Uh, but yes, all the places we sell books, whether it's my site, daveramsey.com, Amazon, it's out there. But I want to encourage people, get a copy, sit down and read this thing and watch what happens. You're going to have a perspective change. You're going to start to realize some things that, hey, you can do this, and I'm going to show you how. Chris, you're a winner, man. Thank you so much for taking time to come on with me today. And you're a blessing. And I know this book is going to bless a lot of people. Well, thank you, my friend. It's a pleasure to be on with you. And hey, I look forward to being on a third time at some point. I hope you enjoyed that time with Chris. Man, what a thought leader. You know, I love in every field, there are different thought leaders. Chris is a thought leader. And man, I just applaud Dave Ramsey and his team for having gentlemen like Chris that are out on the front lines helping people be their best version of themselves. And it's so interesting when you learn about these people out there that have accumulated this wealth. They're not some from some elite class. They're people like you and people like me and people like your neighbors who have just chosen a different way to live. And man, I enjoyed that so much. And I I really do hope you will stop and pick up that book. Order some copies for your team. Order some copies for your family. Because it's one of those books you will be ready better for reading in 2019. What a great way to start your year. Well, we have an amazing lineup coming in 2019 with Lynch with a Leader. Some of the names you'll get to meet this spring. Uh, in our next episode, we sit down with Dondi Skumachi. Dondi is one of the greatest leaders in the area of personal development and mentoring that's out in the marketplace right now. Bob Berg, the great leader, talks about Dondi all the time. And we get to sit down with Dondi in episode 39. We've got Patty Gasso coming up from the University of Oklahoma, legendary softball coach, Butch Thompson from Auburn University, the baseball coach at Auburn, Rachel Cruz from Dave Ramsey, Dave Barnes, unbelievable artist in Nashville, telling his story and sharing what God has done, the incomparable Brian Dodd. Uh, If you don't follow Brian Dodd on Leadership Online, you are missing it. Brian's going to be coming up this this spring. Darlene Santor, Coach Dar, who works with the Phoenix Suns, Dan Ryland from 12 Stone, We have so many amazing guests. I cannot wait for 2019 and Lynch with a Leader. So I hope today you'll pause, share this with a friend, write a review for us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or Spotify. It helps others find their way here because our goal is to help people be the leaders that they were created to be in the space and the place that God has put them. Well, once again, thanks for listening in to Lynch with a Leader. And until next time, go and be that leader that you were created to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 